Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Pastor Ken Bear with Faith Dialogue, and welcome to our message today. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Unstoppable. It's uh, based on the New Testament uh, book of the Acts of the Apostles. Now, we've been traveling together for the past oh, four or five months, um, and we've been looking through the scriptures that talk about the apostles and the disciples, the, the first deacons called the seven, and particular two people, the apostle Peter, um, also called Simon, and the Apostle Paul, also called Saul. Now, now last week, our, our hearts were literally filled, overflowing, as we saw a very unique picture of our beloved Apostle Paul. Uh, and we saw him uniquely as the shepherd. You know, there, last week we just covered uh, 20 verses, just a very small section of the Scripture, only a fraction of the Holy Writ, considering there's 66 books in the Bible. You know, it'd be easy sometimes to just pass by uh, 20 verses of Scripture without really spending any time to, to let it sink in, let it, to, let it fill your heart, actually let it change you, uh, your perspective of ministry, of Paul's call, and uh, his understanding of what it meant to meet the living God on the road to Damascus. You know, we spent much of our time last week looking at four aspects of Paul's ministry that he summarized in these 20 verses. These 20 verses gave, uh, were all part of what we call Paul's farewell to his closest friends. He had ministered in Ephesus for three years and he was pouring out his heart to these elders from Ephesus. And um, we said that this farewell address in these 20 verses became a, a great lesson for us in these four points. And I just want to summarize them for you uh, before we go on to today's lesson. The four points were, the first one was what we call Paul's motive. Paul's motive we saw was in verse 19 of chapter 20. Paul said, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know, this is a lesson for us as we said that the, the body of Christ, in the body of Christ, the only way we can truly serve the Lord is with humility. Even for leaders of the church, we are all called to, to humility. The term servant leader um, is actually based on this example of humility um, that we saw in Jesus. Uh, the second point we made, the second uh, um, uh, characteristic of Paul was Paul's manner. And Paul's manner was summarized in verses 33 and 34, we said. Paul said, yes, you yourself know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you that in every way, by laboring like this, you must support the weak. And we said that this, this use, uh, this, this Paul's uh, use of his own hands in supporting his ministry uh, identified two things. Uh, the first one, his primary concern was to provide for the poor and the weak, for the saints in Jerusalem, for those that were, were truly needy. And, and the second thing that this illustrated was Paul's desire to stay above reproach. 
Paul surrounded himself with other people that would hold him accountable, and that he could point to as, as fellow ministers of the gospel, um, and they would keep each other uh, accountable, and they could testify of Paul's integrity. The third point from last week was Paul's message. Paul's message was the gospel. Uh, he said he had not hesitated to declare to the people the whole counsel of God. And we focused on these words, the whole counsel of God. And we said that it was very important for pastors, for teachers, for, for, uh, for, for those people that, that uh, teach the word of God to teach the whole counsel of God. Not just the things that you want to teach on or the things that people want to hear, but the entire counsel of God, the entire word of God. Because the Bible says that the word of God is like a two-edged sword. Uh, we need to teach that God is kind and merciful and just, but we also need to teach that there's a, there's a judgment that it's coming, that just as there's a heaven, there's also a hell, the heaven that is promised and the hell that we are warned above. The final part was what we said was Paul's ministry. We said that Paul's ministry was not just to testify to the gospel, but actually Paul was called to plant churches. And this is a big part of discipleship. Discipleship is not just telling people about Jesus Christ, but instructing them in a way that they can then be disciplers themselves. Paul said, pay attention. Pay attention to the people of God. Love them. Look over them. Care for them. Do it because the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And we spent a little time talking about this idea of, of being an overseer. You know, some scholars have uh, determined that there have been 56 generations. 56 generations from Pentecost until now. 56 generations. And we're here today because of the faithfulness of those previous generations. They passed on the gospel. They didn't just teach it, but they ensured that there were people that could teach it as well, that would carry on the gospel. And the reason we're here today is because of the faithfulness of the way others have safeguarded this message. So today, uh, we're into a new chapter. I could hear the cheers out there that we're getting into chapter 21. We don't go real fast, but uh, we, we make our way through the Acts of the Apostles for sure. So we're starting in chapter 21, and our topic for today is very simple. It's Paul is warned. Paul is warned. That's our topic for today. So let me uh, pick up uh, reading verse 1. Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kaz, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Pantera. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left and sailed to Syria, landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. So it, it's interesting. Uh, uh, as you know, I, um, I, I prefer the New King James, and I teach out of the New King James for a number of reasons that I'm not going to go into today. Um, however, sufficient to, to, to be said that from time to time, uh, I do like picking up other versions of the Bible because they illuminate something that we're teaching. Uh, this first verse that I read, it says in the New King James, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them, However, in other translations, there is sometimes a better understanding of this verse. For example, just an example, the New International Version says this, After we had torn away 
torn away ourselves from them. You know, and that goes back to what we talked about last week. This was not easy for Paul. He had said farewell to these people, and he had spent a, a number of uh, three years with them. And, and as he was departing, he gave this farewell speech. And as he departed and went to the ship, they traveled with him. They all traveled with him to say goodbye to him as he boarded the ship. This just shows how much Paul loved these people and how much they loved Paul. They, they knew they would not see him again. He had made it clear. Uh, these Ephesian elders and their families, their companions, had followed Paul all the way, all the way to the dock. And they stayed there and waited until the ship sailed out of sight. So Dr. Luke provides a historical account then of the actual travel, where this ship uh, went, took its course. And we see that if you take a look at a Bible map, you can see it pretty quickly. It's going from left to right, from west to east. Uh, it starts off by going to Kaz, and Kaz is an island in the Mediterranean. Then Rhodes, which is on the coast of Greece. Then Patera, which is back again on the coast of Greece. And then on to Phoenician, it says that they landed at Tyre. Now, this was a very direct route from Miletus, where Paul was, uh, to the coast of, of um, the Mediterranean Sea, just north of Jerusalem. In fact, it's in modern-day Israel. Now, this implies that Paul, while he wasn't hurried, he was watching the time. He knew that he wanted to get back to Jerusalem in time for the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, it says that he continued on to Cyprus, then Syria, and finally Tyre. Uh, notice, however, that as, as much as Paul is cautious and, and concerned about the time because he was, he was concerned that he had to miss Passover and now he wanted to get back there for Pentecost, um, he found some disciples in Tyre, uh, meaning these were, these were church people. These were people like him, people of the way, fellow believers, and it says that they stayed there for seven days. Now, Paul is not sightseeing in Tyre. He is saint sing. Don't you like that? Not sight sing, but saint sing. In, in some ways, I, well, I read this and I can't think um, that Paul just can't help himself. He loves being with people that know the Lord and he loves to encourage them and to instruct them. Now, have you ever done that? I mean, not, not stop to tire and, and strengthen people, but have you ever stopped and just visit a, a church? You were on vacation, you were out sightseeing, and you decided to take a little detour and do some saint sing. You know, we have. Uh, we don't do it very often, but there was a couple times in the past that, that my wife Carol and I, along with the kids, were, were traveling. I remember one of our, our first trips out east. We went out to, to Boston and to Plymouth Rock. And for some reason on Sunday, we decided that we would check out one of the local churches right there, right down from the hotel that we were staying at. And, and let me tell you, it was a, it was a great experience. Now, now, here in Celebration, Florida, we have a lot of snowbirds. It's not unusual for our churches to swell, especially during the season, meaning now, <laughs> January, February, March, April, the, the springtime, when it's cold up north, there's a lot of people that come and visit us here. And there's a number of saints of God that decide that they want to make sure that they don't vacation from God, that they, they, they participate in a local church. But, but here in Boston, when we were traveling, they weren't used to that. It was, very, it was quite unusual when we told them we were just passing through. And we were received uh, very well. It was like family. Um, they, they loved on us and they encouraged us. And it was just so much fun to be able to go and visit um, in another location and just, and just visit with the local church. Um, they treated us like family. 
And, you know, that's exactly who we are. The Bible over and over and over again continues to refer to the body of Christ as, as, a, as a body, as a, as a physical unit, as, as members of all of the same, the same family. That's precisely why Paul stopped and found some disciples there entire, because he knew they were all of the body of Christ. You know, and it's ironic, too, when you think about it, because most likely these disciples, we don't know exactly when they started that church or who planted the church there, but we do have a hint. It was during the persecution in Jerusalem that Paul brought, um, because he had these letters from the high priest to persecute the people of the way, that the people dispersed, and they traveled up north into the northern part of, of of present-day Israel, but still very north of, of where Israel is, because he had letters from the Sanhedrin. And uh, most likely, Paul is the one, well, Paul is responsible for starting this church, but not in the way we would think. It's because they were escaping the persecution that Paul, actually Saul, brought at the time. This does provide a uh, also a, another look at how Dr. Luke is recording the scriptures because Dr. Luke doesn't give us a lot of the details. He just gives us some of the highlights because there's a, a tremendous amount of activity going on in the church now at this time and Dr. Luke is just giving us some snippets of it. And in verse 4 it says, the scriptures say, they told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. And this is a, this is a word of warning. This is again the, the title of our message today, this warning to Paul. Paul's warn. It's just one of several warnings that he's had. Um, and this happens to be entire. But others had prophesied of the danger that uh, was awaiting for Paul, especially if he went to Jerusalem. Something that he had said before that he felt that no matter where he would go, that the Holy Spirit was testifying to him that there was imprisonment and danger and, and uh, prison um, that was ahead of him. Now, this, likely this warning not to go to Jerusalem was a human interpretation of the Holy Spirit's um, uh, warning that, that persecution was imminent. Um, but back uh, a few chapters before, uh, Paul said this. He said, but the Lord said to him, go for he is my chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And this is what the Holy Spirit told Paul, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. So right from the very beginning of Paul's ministry, he knew that he was not only called to preach, but he was also called to suffer. God was going to use Paul's upcoming arrest and imprisonment as a way of getting the gospel into areas that it had not been uh, in before. Uh, Paul was going to go before Roman authorities. We'll see this in the next few chapters. Now Paul was comfortable with the fact that God was ultimately in charge. He would later write, for example, to the church in Galatia. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And by the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, let's go back to our scriptures today. We, we, uh, we start reading again in verse 5. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. 
You know, Dr. Luke is commenting again on the same seven days with the disciples in, in Tyre. Now, there's a hint here that we see that, um, that all of them return back to the ship, along with all the children and the people from Tyre. So, uh, all of the ship uh, 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 got off there. Uh, most likely, they were unloading a lot of cargo at the same time, and it gave Paul the seven days that he got to spend with his companions at, these, uh, at the church here in Tyre. Uh, with their wives and their children. You know, a number of times in the Bible, we are reminded that this is a family affair, that the church is to be made up of families, not necessarily individuals. The Lord is interested in bringing families, a husband, a wife, and the children, into a relationship with himself. Remember, God is revealed as the father of us all. Uh, we're all his children. The, ch the church is often referred to as the bride of Christ. You know, when you show your family that church is important to you, that church attendance is important to you, that prayer is important to you, it's, you become a, a visual sermon. Uh, you become a living illustration of the priority that you have placed in putting God in the center, at center of your life. Now, likely the best champion of the fam family, other than God himself, is, is a man named James Dobson. Uh, many of you know James Dobson from his ministry that he found, founded over 40 years ago, focused on the family. And this is what James Dobson says about the family. He says, the love between a husband and a wife provides a glimpse of Christ's compassionate and passionate devotion to us as the bride. In the same way, the ups and downs of parenthood offer a compelling picture of God's tenderness and his patience towards us as children. You know, I, I want to just encourage you, keep, keep praying for your families. Maybe you're like a lot of families we know, that uh, uh, when, when the kids were little, the, everybody was in church together, they went to Sunday school, you were always there in church, and as we've gotten older, uh, sometimes we depart from the ways uh, that we had when we were younger. So just keep praying for your family. There's nothing actually better than prayer that you can do. That prayer is a constant reminder to God that you care about your family and God cares as well. And you'll just be surprised at what God will do when you continue to pray for your kids and your grandkids as well. Let's continue, verse number seven. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus, greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. On the next day, uh, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, the scripture reads that after greeting the brethren, we stayed them, uh, with them for a day. You know, we're getting another glimpse of Paul's job description. His job was to preach and to teach, but also always to build up the church. Uh, we, he does that through encouragement and also something very, very precious and that's his time. These disciples and in, um, in Ptolemus, which was on the coast of the Mediterranean today, it's the city of Acre in northern Israel, were also likely the result of the dispersion of the disciples from Jerusalem after persecution broke out. Uh, now, the, But this is no longer Saul. 
Saul was in a hurry to persecute, but Paul is conscious of the time, but he's not in a hurry. He'll spend the time that he needs in order to encourage and to strengthen the local church. Next we see Philip the Evangelist. Uh, uh, Paul came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. Now Philip was one of the original seven. Remember, the apostles were busy and they felt that they needed to, to, to uh, do a little divisional labor and they appointed seven men to be deacons and Philip was one of those. Now, uh, if he's called the evangelist, that means he's actually being called one who brings good news. Now, that's a pretty cool nickname to be called an evangelist, one who brings good news. Back in Acts 8, we read of Philip ministering to the Ethiopian eunuch, and then it says that in that, those verses that Philip ended up in Caesarea. Now, according to the timeline, that's probably right around 35 AD, but this is over 20 years later, probably around 55 to 57 AD, that Paul is coming back to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey. And we see that Philip is still ministering in Caesarea and that he has four daughters. So, so Paul and his companions, including Dr. Luke, stay with Philip and his four daughters. Now Philip, as one of the seven deacons, the original deacons, was a, was a friend of Stephen. Remember, Stephen was the one that gave this amazing sermon and um, was the, became the first martyr of the church. He was stoned by an angry mob. And it says that Saul was there consenting uh, to the stoning. This is what it says in Acts 7.58. Just let this sink in because Paul and Steve, Paul is now staying at Stephen's home. Acts 7.58 says, and they, that's the Jews, dragged him, that Stephen, out of the city, began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now that was over 20 years prior, this young man named Saul, who was breathing hatred against the people of the way was now the beloved Apostle Paul. So here again, what a lesson to us. Philip and Paul are now co-ministers. They're immediately friends. They're brothers in the Lord. You know, when the blood of Jesus is applied to a person's life, what King David said in Psalm 103 becomes crystal clear. Uh, Psalm 103 says, He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. You know, this begs the question, are you wrestling with having your sins removed? Do you still feel some guilt? Do you still feel some baggage from what God has already forgiven? If so, take a lesson from this example of Paul and Philip the Evangelist. They, uh, Paul stayed there with his companions, even though uh, Philip knew very well uh, Paul's past as the um, as this uh, fire-breathing um, uh, disciple of the Jews uh, named Saul. So let's move on. And we read that Philip had four virgin daughters. Now, I wanted to spend a minute on this word virgin. Uh, the word in Greek is pathanos. And it's typically used of a woman who has not been intimate with a man. And in fact, I, I looked through as, as much as I could through the Bible, and I found that it's, that it's never used metaphorically or figuratively when it speaks about a woman. It doesn't, if a woman is called a virgin, it means exactly what it says. It is used figuratively because it's referred to um, the church, the church who's pledged to Christ and is to be chaste. So it's used figuratively there, but never uh, to an individual person, a woman. So we don't hear of 
Philip over the past 20 years. Wonder what he did. Well, he's still in Caesarea and he's taking care of business. The Bible doesn't talk about all that he did, but he was a mighty man of God. I'm sure he continued to minister and to teach and to encourage. You know, just because uh, it's not written of in the Bible doesn't mean it didn't happen. And he does ha bring up four young women to be, uh, to be uh, prophetess. They were, they are, the best way to look at that is they were, they love the Lord. Uh, they continue to teach and encourage and equip the church as much as they possibly could. Now, there's no indication here that these, these, four, uh, these four young daughters used their prophetic gift in any way with regard to Paul. And likely, if they did, uh, Dr. Luke would have noted it. One of the commentaries by F.F. F. Bruce has a note, and he says this, according to some ancient records, now this is not biblical, but it's ancient records, the daughters, or at least some of them, lived to a great age. These are the four daughters, and were highly esteemed as informants on persons and events belonging to the early years of the Judean Christianity. So there's, there's much that we could actually dig into this gift of prophecy. But most likely for these four young daughters of, of, of the evangelist Philip, uh, this was one-on-one -on -one ministering. This is what these women were doing. They were informing individuals. They were encouraging and equipping individuals within the church. But now we meet another prophet. This man is named Agabus. And one of the opportunities we have in the Acts of the Apostles is to meet these very interesting characters and learn from them. And we've learned from a lot. You know, I just mentioned Stephen uh, and Philip, but we also have Peter and Paul, Ananias, Apollo, Priscilla and Aquila, Timothy, Titus, Barnabas, uh, a number of individuals. And now we meet this man named Agabus. And Agabus is a, a very unusual name. So most scholars believe that this is the same Agabus that Dr. Luke mentions a few ch ch chapters before, actually Acts 11. And this is what scripture says. It says, one of them named Agabus, the same guy, stood up and began to indicate by the spirit that there would certainly be a great famine over all the world. And then Luke adds this comment, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. That's uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 28. So, that pre this prophecy of Agabus is treated with so much respect that Paul and others took up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. This is the earlier prophecy by Agabus. So now this time, Agabus um, has a prophecy for Paul, but he mixes in some, some theater with it, um, um, this warning from God. Uh, verse 11 says, Agabus took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. And this way the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. You know, this is not without precedent. Um, items like belts and using yourself as an object lesson uh, has been done before by Old Testament prophets. For example, Ezekiel, was told to take a brick, place it in front of him, and draw on at the city of Jerusalem. Then build a miniature siege ramp, a uh, siege wall, a ramp, set up camps and battering rams, and explain to the people of Jerusalem that they were warned that there would be a siege against Jerusalem, that unless they repented, uh, they would certainly be taken captive. Uh, Ezekiel another time is told to lay on one side for 390 days and then the other side for 40 days and many scholars have tried to pick apart this prophecy and come up with exactly what it means. We know that the days represent years and they try to get the timeline of exactly when Israel as well as Judah were taken into captivity. 
But the main thing is to understand that these prophecies, like many prophecies, are warnings. They're warnings. Even though I love taking things literally in the Bible, the best thing we can take literally is that Paul is being warned. Paul is being warned just like the people of Israel were being warned that, that, uh, that uh, a siege was coming against Jerusalem. So Paul and all of his companions obviously treat Agabus very seriously. Paul had said earlier that trials and persecutions awaited him. In the future, and recorded in Acts 28, Paul himself later will claim, he'll say this, he says, Though I have done nothing against the people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So we're going to see as the book of Acts continues, uh, Paul will be taken prisoner. And Paul is going to attribute it exactly what Agabus said. Now as we read it, we're going to see that it's, it's fulfilled a little bit differently than, than Agabus uh, uh, prophesied. But prophecy, remember, often is an encouragement and a warning or a warning. So we take the warning very, very seriously. Um, and sometimes if we change our behavior, if we change our way, um, the prophecy itself will be the warning to us and, uh, and again it won't happen because we've taken it seriously. So we'll see the next few weeks as we continue that Paul understands this danger. But Paul will insist on continuing his journey. Paul says, for I am ready not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice again as we close that this prophecy didn't Paul, didn't, by Agabus, did not tell Paul not to go but that it was a warning that danger lied ahead. You know, in every way, uh, Agabus through the Lord, or the Lord through Agabus, was warning Paul that uh, there would be danger ahead, but that just strengthened Paul. He was determined to minister despite, despite the hardships. You know, today, we are, we are most fortunate, particularly here in the United States at th these times. Our hardships and our persecutions are few, and infrequent. Uh, we haven't been faced with life and death situations because of our faith. However, the Bible clearly says that in the future, in the future, there will be a time, there will be a time, the end of the time, um, that persecution will come and that many will be martyred for their faith. Now we're given a time today, as long as it is today, as long as the light is still shining, we have the opportunity to repent, to make our life right with God, to be able to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. And if we do that, we will escape the coming judgment. We can do it now by submitting to the rule and reign of Christ in our hearts. And as a result, because we've been warned, we will escape that judgment. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to get together like this. We thank you. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.